Welcome to the York County Economic Alliance podcast, produced in partnership with BizNews PA. I'm Joel Berg, editor and founder of BizNews PA. Our guests for this episode have direct experience with one of the biggest issues for business leaders today, the cost of fuel. Rich Farr is executive director of the Susquehanna Regional Transportation Authority, better known as Rabbit Transit. Mark Wisniewski is manager for supply and trading refined products at Shipley Energy. So Rich, let's start with you. Um, how are high fuel prices affecting Rabbit Transit and its riders? Well, um, it's affecting us, obviously. We, we are like everybody else. We go to the pump and we you know, put the nozzle in and we pull the, the trigger to fill it up. And so um, those costs are uh, being seen in our budget. Um, you know, we prepare our budget a year ago and, and we're beginning to see in the last few months that we're you know, really over budget in, on that line item. And so, um, you know, there's not a lot of things that we can do to relieve that. We have to provide the service that's out there that's scheduled. So, um, you know, fortunately for us, um, we I think our short term plan is that you know, the infrastructure bill that was just passed at the federal level gives us additional resources. So we're hoping that those resources will help us weather this storm. So besides fuel costs, what are some of the other challenges facing public transportation in central Pennsylvania? Well, I, I mean, I think, um, I don't know if so much of a challenge or maybe it's a long-term challenge, right? But um, really the cultural shift of people using public transportation is a challenge that we've always faced. And so um, we're really trying to figure out, um, are there tools and techniques that help bridge people to come use public transportation. So, you know, things like smart apps and and better trip planning um, tools and things that really um, help people feel more comfortable using public transportation. I think that's one of the biggest barriers is that fear of, the, of that. And Rabbit Transit partners with commuter services. And one of the benefits of that partnership is we have an emergency ride home program. So if you use public transportation and one of the fears are that, you know, I can't get home in the middle of the day if I have a problem. Yes, you can. There's emergency ride home program. There's a reimbursement for you to find an emergency right home and so that sort of a safety net so those kind of tools are the things that i think can help um, bridge that and we're also looking at um, different kinds of services right so one of our newest is it's called micro transit in the transit world but we call a stop hopper here mm -hmm. and so it's really a a more tailored type service that is more on demand that um, you're, you're not necessarily just waiting at a bus stop and you can kind of control your your destiny a little more so we we're hoping that you know, different tools and techniques will help bridge that gap and bring people over to public transportation. How do you, how would you describe that cultural shift? I guess you're kind of moving maybe from a mass transit model to a, a model where people want their transit to be more individualized. Yeah, I, I think that's the world in general, right? When, when you go to McDonald's and it kind of now looks like Starbucks, right? <laughs> it's the experience that people are looking for. And, you know, um, I go out and I ride public transportation and if I'm standing at a bus stop, you know, um, two seconds feels like two minutes. It's a long time when you're just standing there. So um, you really begin to look at, again, if you can have an app that shows where your bus is and that it's coming, it's that reassurance that, that um, you know, the bus is on the way, you're not stranded somewhere. So it's really, I think, all those kinds of things to really change that shift. Mm -hmm. So how do you see uh, Rabbit Transit and the authority in general evolving to, in, down the road to meet those challenges? Well, I, I think transportation in general is, um, you know, really on the verge of this major 
revolution or whatever, right? So it's going to be a big change over the next couple of years, a decade. Um, you know, I almost equate it back from when we went from horse and buggy to to the car. It's going to be that kind of, I think, of magnitude of change. So you have, you know, Thomas vehicles, you have, um, you know, electric vehicles or other types of energy that really um, kind of coming on to the, the, the horizon. So I think we have a lot of work to do in the coming decade. And I, I'm hoping that a lot of that, again, continues to attract people to use public transportation. Are you mentioned alternative vehicles. Are you looking more closely at different types of fuel besides uh, gasoline, diesel, and your t- traditional fuels in public transportation? Yeah, we, um, we're currently using um, compressed natural gas. Uh, here in York County. And so um, that's one of our fuel sources. We do have some hybrid vehicles. Um, I, I have to be honest, I don't see the, the return on that investment because we, we, we kind of test some things out. So you know, I think electric vehicles are on the horizon. A lot of our peer agencies across the country are, are converting to that. I think the technology is still a bit new for public transportation and um, I don't want to be on that bleeding edge. We like to be cutting edge, not bleeding edge. So um, I think we'll see probably, um, we're beginning to prepare budgetarily for those in, in maybe the next three or four years. And do you think we will still have buses in the traditional sense or will that, I guess I'm kind of curious where you see that going as well in terms of all these changes, you know, that is sort of the mass transit is the big bus going down the road. I think, um, you know, if, if, you know, I had a crystal ball, where would we be in, you know, 20, 25 years? I think um, large, like our route one runs from East York to West York. And that carries 50, about 55% of our ridership is on one route. I think that kind of route will always continue to be there. And I think what we call the radial routes that sort of feed those, I think microtransit, autonomous vehicles, I think there's going to be a shift of, of how and the type of vehicles we to make people connect to those main lines. And I think that's going to be a trend across the country. So Leslie, as you're evolving, as you're kind of moving into these new models, how do you, which role do you see businesses playing as a partner to public transit? Um, I, I th- they're critical, right? So um, you know, the number one use for public transportation is to go to work. And so we need business partners to, to make that happen. So you know, looking at everything from work schedules that, that really make transit easier to use, um, to being a funding partner to help secure additional resources to maybe make that last connection. Um, I, I really see them becoming a critical component. We, we've seen that really over the last couple of years. We've had more um, business partners than we've ever had. And so you know, we are you know, state and federally funded with taxpayers' money. Um, but if a private business comes in and they contribute just a little more, that allows us to offer that much more service. And so it really is helpful. Do you see their role growing or do you see them pulling back maybe once this, like, I don't know if this is the pandemic ebbs, gas prices come back down, employment, you know, you know, I think you know, crisis always breeds opportunity, right? When there's a crisis, people come together and, and they try to find solutions. I, I hope it would continue and we're creating good case studies that show the benefits of public transportation to their workforce. You know, even after the crisis, they're going to want reliable workforce, people who show up every day. And those who are riding public transportation, um, that's what they do. They show up every day and they have a, you know, a reliable transportation. So I'm hoping that we can create those case studies that um, allow employers to continue to buy into the program. All right. So, Mark, listeners likely want to know if and when gas prices will start to fall. I'm curious, what are your expectations at the moment for, you know, for the future of, uh, of gasoline prices at the pump? Sure. Well, um, I think mainly it's driven by 
uh, first and foremost, it's driven by price of crude oil and uh, the supply and demand metrics around that and uh, how that relates to gasoline, diesel prices. Um, really, we think that if they were to fall and, and, and sustain lower levels for a little bit longer, uh, you know, longer term supply chain issues have to be solved, like, just like in any, any market. Um, and then also there has to be a commitment uh, to the industry. So that uh, commitment to the industry, whether that's around regulations, also around uh, longer term investment, that'll help ease uh, investors' minds, which will then um, potentially help solve supply chain issues. And then also, um, you know, a recession. I mean, many folks are talking about, um, and pundits are talking about a recession. Is it going to be a soft landing? Or how long are they going to continue to raise interest rates and potentially manufacture a recession? And how long are they going to keep their foot on the gas? Uh, no pun intended, but how long are they going to keep their foot on the gas pedal raising interest rates? So if depending on how long we're in a recession for and if we even go into a recession, whether it's a short uh, term recession or, 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 or if it's a little bit longer term, um, depending on that, if manufacturing comes down, then that should bring down the price of, of diesel fuel, uh, which is used a lot in manufacturing and it follows the manufacturing index. So um, I think it probably would be you know, another one to two years potentially before prices would fall. If we go, if we fall into, uh, say, an environment like 2008, prices could could crash. Uh, but we see uh, the amount of uh, crude oil supply and, and and couple that with geopolitics with an, in a rising demand environment that prices are going to probably stay elevated for longer. Unfortunately, that's not good for the consumer. Um, but unless there's some other ways to to solve those issues. And mainly, it all comes back to solving the supply issue. Um, that's where we see uh, prices potentially coming down. You mentioned the supply, that does seem to be the big issue. Um, where do you fall on, or where do you see the refiners working or navigating the balance between the desire to produce more gasoline, but also the recognition that a lot of public policy is moving towards you know, reduce less reliance on carbon through you know incentives for electric vehicles, natural you know, compressed natural gas, the various other other sources of energy besides uh, fossil fuels. Right. So the 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 refining industry is um, is been been trying to adapt to to switch away from from fossil fuels. For quite some time, um, it's it's it hasn't been it's it's not a new topic that that's been just started in the last two years. Uh, it's gone back uh, quite a while, and refining capacity has been coming down for quite some time. Um, but uh, currently, with you know, COVID nineteen was really the impetus to to shutter a lot of costly um, and high cost ma to maintain refineries, ones that aren't producing well. So what you're finding is, um, you know, five refiners have shut down and COVID was really the impetus to, to shut the, shut some of those higher costs and higher to maintain refineries. Some have been converted to produce and to adapt to the, the regulatory environment to pr produce uh, renewable diesel. Um, and there's regulations around where you can acquire a tax credit if you produce a renewable diesel or, or, or a biodiesel. So they're trying to adapt to the market. But the regulatory environment, there's a lot of unknowns. And, and year to year, um, a lot of companies, it's very hard for them, for them to plan forward. And if you see a big lack of commitment from, from D.C., um, larger institutions are, are, are not going to invest. They're going to put their money elsewhere. Um, 
So it's very hard uh, with, with the current regulatory environment to really um, produce more fuel or commit to expanding refining capacity. Exxon, Chevron, and, and those um, uh, top CEOs have come out and said, we're expanding refinery capacity, but it's, it's, it's very hard to do. You can't do it overnight. It takes time. And um, you can't flip on a switch and automatically start producing, you know, another million, million barrels per day of gasoline for the consumer. So it's going to take a lot more commitment uh, from investors and from, from D.C. So government officials have proposed uh, some solutions, at least short term, including gas tax holidays. I'm sure you've seen you know, various lawmakers in Pennsylvania want to at least kill the gas tax for a certain period of time. Uh, what can they do? That would bring maybe the most relief to consumers and businesses at this point, at least more, more quickly, and maybe also over the, more quickly. Yeah. So, uh, reduction in gas taxes, uh, releasing more, more crude oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve doesn't solve. I come back to this theme a lot. It doesn't solve uh, longer-term supply issues, which the futures market is always looking out forward. It's a discounting mechanism. So, what we're seeing um, is, you know, you have gas tax holidays, uh, releases from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, but that crude oil then has to be replaced at another time. So keeping a bid a bid under the market. What we think uh, could potentially uh, help consumers at the pump, uh, besides uh, the fuel tax holiday, which can hurt consumers elsewhere, it doesn't solve the supply issue. It just temp- it's a temporary Band-Aid. Uh, which then, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing 90 days for, for potential taxes. And it's not really, it's a, it's a bipartisan issue. And we don't really see um, voters, I mean, uh, uh, voters on both sides of the aisle come together to say they're, they're all for this. Because if you rob the, the highway trust fund, um, roads and bridges are going to deplete further, and you're going to have to make up for that at some other point, and then potentially causing prices to rise. So we think that... Um, one, one key area, which I, I talked about earlier, was the uh, renewable fuel standard. Um, if you potentially gave a uh, two-year hiatus, for, for instance, on the renewable fuel standard, that could then potentially lower prices, say, a dollar at today's, at today's prices for, for these credits. You know, you take that out of, out of uh, the price of fuel, that could potentially reduce prices by about $1.50, some experts say. And that could potentially help people long term. And that's a, you know, two years that could potentially help people for a long period of time. Yes, yeah, that's big savings. Yeah. And then that would then give, you know, allow um, producers, um, if there's, again, uh, investment, they could, you know, uh, invest in, into, into production as you make that transition uh, that clearly uh, the world is heading. Thank you. So um, one last question. I'm curious, how is Shipley Energy adjusting to this? Like what has been the impact on your business on Shipley as you try to navigate this, you know, with both, both as a company, but also for your customers? You obviously use energy, but also sell energy. And- right. Yeah. The volatility uh, that we've experienced over the last four or five months, I mean, volatility in, in my line of work as the, the manager of supply and trading, volatility can be our friend. It, it all comes down to how you manage your risk in, in, in any business. Um, and if you're acute to managing your risk, um, and this volatility in this current environment can be your friend. Typically, rising prices are not great for our customers, which, which can um, deplete demand. 
and which then, you know, it's, it's less product that we're selling. But if we're able to then manage that volatility well, we're able to then pass those savings along to customers, provide solutions to them, which in turn helps create uh, more business for us. And, you know, those who have potentially pulled out of the market, we're able to then um, grab some more market share. So, so on my side of the business, on the, on, on the fuel, the heating oil, the propane side, we've been navigating it very well. Um, and volatility, like I said, can, can be your friend if you manage your risk appropriately. And are there ways in which Shipley is looking at energy more broadly into other sorts of alternative energies besides fossil fuels? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we have um, natural gas division, um, electricity division as well. And we're looking at ways that we can help offset um, the hydrocarbon portion of, 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 of fuel. So whether that's through um, renewable energy credits, what we call RECs, um, displacing more hydrocarbons with with renewables. Um, right now, the state has a mandate of 2% biodiesel. We're always looking for ways that we can uh, offer more um, higher blends of biodiesel. Um, renewable diesel, which could potentially be working its way into the east. Uh, you see a lot of that on, on the west coast and they have um, um, low carbon credits. Uh, we're starting to uh, get into those industries a little bit more and, and offer those solutions uh, to customers uh, as we see fit. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the York County Economic Alliance podcast produced in partnership with Biz News PA.